Welcome one and all, this is the Critical Care Commute Podcast. 20 minutes, just the facts, where we tease apart science, opinion and marketing. I am joined by my dear friend, very valued colleague, Leon Baker. And I'm of course joined by mentor and colleague, Professor Peter Brindley from the University Hospital in Edmonton. We both live and work in Western Canada. We're both transplants to this fascinating place that brings, I think, a unique aspect to critical care, one of extreme distance, extreme meteorology, and at times extreme culture. And so our first season, we're going to highlight this lovely part of the world, keep it down to 20 minutes, and give you at least one take-home point for each of the digits on your right hand. Exactly. So without any further ado, let's get cracking. Well, hello again, one and all, to this uh, this episode, the one where we're finally going to try and answer the question, can you say no to your mum when she offers you vitamin C when you have the sniffles? Or even vitamin C, if you want, for our uh, North American <laughs> audience, Leon. This is, of course, the question we all got into critical care medicine to answer, and we yeah. have the perfect guest, a good friend of both of ours. An eminent, preeminent academic, Alexa Rewa, and also, most notably, along with some other U of A faculty, a prominent member of the Love It trial, which we'll allow Alexa to introduce in a second. And then we're going to pepper him with questions and see whether all of us should love it as well. There, love it or hate it, we have to do this podcast. So Alexa is an internist from Queen's University that is critical care medicine at the University of Toronto. He's also the proud owner of a Master of Sciences in Clinical Epidemiology from the School of Public Health at the University of Alberta. Then he's an assistant professor at the Department of Critical Care Medicine at the University of Alberta and an adjunct professor at the School of Public Health. Leon Peter, thank you very much for having me on this podcast. I'm joining you from uh, beautiful Banff, Alberta here. And if uh, you do hear two things barking in the background, I swear it is not my wife, but my two lovely <laughs> designer dogs. Yeah, good good luck getting out of that comment later. It is a pleasure to have you with us, pleasure to have you in Banff. Let's dive straight into this. What does Love It stand for? What does the the average, i.e. a guy like me person, need to know about this trial? And are the questions answered, or is it yet another more studies are required conclusion? Well, Peter, I think uh, first things first, Love It, other than being a fantastic acronym, stands for Lessening Organ Dysfunction with Vitamin C in Critical Illness. And it is a study evaluating just that, the role of high-dose vitamin C compared to placebo, looking at the risk of death or persistent organ dysfunction for critically ill patients. I'm not sure if you want me to jump right to the conclusion uh, of the study or not, but I think with this study, we can definitely close the book on the utility of vitamin C for, for these patients. Fantastic. All right. Well, let's do bottom line up front, as Churchill used to apparently say in meetings. So what is the bottom line up front? Well, so the bottom line here is that vitamin C is not associated with any improved outcomes for critically ill patients. And in fact, it appears that the composite outcome, so the combined outcome of death or persistent organ dysfunction is higher in the vitamin C group. So essentially, we should not use this if we want to do good by our patients and adhere by our first principles in medicine. 
Now, obviously, uh, Alexa, there's every chance you've been bought off by the mainstream media and big pharma, and that's why you're saying what you're saying. Unless that is, of course, you did a rigorous RCT across the nation. So why don't you tell us a bit about the very impressive work in a very difficult situation in a very speedy fashion that was done to come to this conclusion? Because I think it needs to be highlighted. Sure, Peter. So... I think before we jump into the Lovett study, it probably warrants a couple of minutes of just thinking about why did people even even think about doing this? Why are we giving vitamin C to these people other than all of us should listen to to our moms and take our vitamins? <laughs> There's been some previous work dating back 5, 10, even 15 years that say that vitamin C may be or is an antioxidant and may reduce uh, tissue injury by reducing oxidative stress. And we know that in sepsis, so in this disease process where there's uncontrolled inflammation from infection, that there's increased oxidative stress and uh, mitochondrial or cellular dysfunction. Okay, so maybe something that affects this disease pathway could be a, a novel mechanism to reduce death and poor outcomes in this patient population because really all that we do now is we give antibiotics and support the body and hope that it recovers so we're really looking for a new pathway to improve outcomes five years ago or so there was a single center study retrospective in nature involving a small group of patients but published in chest high impact journal that suggested that maybe the early use of iv vitamin c together with some other adjunctive or additional therapies like steroids and thiamine, may prevent organ dysfunction and may reduce mortality of these patients. So that really began this whole debate or pathway of uh, research uh, evaluating could vitamin C be useful or not. There were a couple of earlier studies uh, that were published. So, for example, the Citrus ALI trial looking at vitamin C and septic shock and acute respiratory distress syndrome, which in that very specific patient population didn't show any benefit, but also didn't really show harm. And then other meta-analyses, so uh, combina- uh, combining previous studies that showed that, yeah, vitamin C is not harmful. Maybe it's beneficial, maybe not beneficial. But all of this really set the stage for what was necessary. And that's the Lovett trial. So a large, prospective, multi-centered, blinded, randomized, controlled trial looking at a large group of these patients to definitively answer this question of, is vitamin C beneficial for the treatment of septic shock? Fantastic. I'll jump in at that point. And, And your work, our work, Canada's work, bravo to Canada on this one, especially in the midst of COVID, says that it isn't. And in fact, it might even be harmful. Just out of interest, why didn't you include the thiamine and the steroid? Has that already been disproven as well? Well, so this trial, as you said, Canadian led by the Canadian Critical Care Trials Group investigators in 35 uh, adult uh, medical surgical ICUs, mostly in Canada, but in France and New Zealand as well, look to evaluate specifically vitamin C versus anything else that may be associated with this outcome. So really, rather than looking at a combination therapy where you can have many competing factors and confounders, we want to investigate vitamin C by itself. Now, importantly, and I'll just say, we did evaluate or we did record the utilization of other 
adjunctive therapies, so steroids and thiamine. Uh, and these were used in about 50% of, of cases. But really the question centered on vitamin C and vitamin C alone on its utility or not, as uh, we later found out. So Alexa, that's all, that's all good and well, but can't I argue now that, well, it's not the package deal. So you only, you only had vitamin C and not the thiamine and steroids. So obviously it's not going to work. Well, so Leon, that's, that's, a, that's one way to look at things. But the other way is, do we just throw the kitchen sink at everyone and hope that something in the, in the mix works? And I think that's one of the risks with some of the previous studies that if you, throw, if you do this shotgun approach, you know, and we talk about this five, uh, you know, nine, uh, this p-value of 0.05, you throw 20 things and study 20 things, out of chance you'll find one of them being beneficial. On the other hand, if you study one thing, and you either see an effect or not, then you're 95, at least 95% certain that that one treatment will be efficacious or not. That makes sense. So we're going to study uh, thiamine uh, on its own then, and we're going to study the use well, the steroids have been studied, I guess. That, that I don't know. I don't know all the scientific backing back behind that. I can, I can tell you steroids, we'll study them again at some point. We study them at give or take every five to 10 years and, and thiamine. Hey, it's another vitamin that's part of the mix. Why the hell not? <laughs> My mom hasn't offered me thiamine yet. So I don't know if she's listening. She, she will. That's why you eat your breakfast cereal, no doubt. <laughs> so excellent answers. Thank you. And I, and I feel to a degree we're, we're dancing around another issue here is that some of these ideas can be plucked from the air and some of them can have a modicum of uh, hypothesis behind them. How do we decide, Alexa, as a, a researcher with far more questions than time and resources, what to chase, what not to chase, how much the latest thing in social media should be addressed or, or should be ignored? Any discussion of that within the uh, August scientific circles you move in? Yeah, and I think the whole vitamin C story really, really highlights this because with vitamin C, as I mentioned, this all started from a small retrospective, poorly conducted, but highly promoted study five, five years ago. That study became a main stage podium presentation at one of our preeminent Canadian conferences, created a ton of controversy and then was uh, taken up by all social media platforms. So it became uh, popularized in the mainstream media. Hence, you know, people were asking for this, this treatment. Clinicians didn't know what to do. And that created this uh, very well-funded and, and well-done research pathway that fully answered this question. I think to avoid something like this, because this utilized a ton of resources, both financial, scientific, person hours, et cetera, et cetera. Rather than going down a pathway like this, it's really important to focus on sound scientific knowledge to start at the very beginning to establish pathophysiology um, at, in the preclinical setting and then to conduct good trials at a small level and then eventually expand them to the larger uh, larger horizon. This is an example of a whole research pathway that started with poor evidence and ultimately was disproven. So I think the popularization via social media, it's important. People need to know what we're studying in the scientific community, but it's also dangerous to run with it without having the proper knowledge and, um, and scientific evidence uh, to back it up. You know, speaking of the proverbial uh, fortified Kool-Aid here, I believe that there was some 
financial implication at your hospital? Yeah. So, you know, and, and clinicians aren't exempt from, uh, from being influenced by horizon ideas or by, uh, uh, by any other sort of promotion. During the running of this study, during the conduct of this study at uh, one of the ICUs that I work at, vitamin C actually became one of the top three prescribed medications uh, over, over a certain period. And that was actually outside of the conduct of, of this study, just because people really, really started to believe in it, entranced with this, uh, with this idea. I think that yeah, for, for the scientists and clinicians uh, listening to this podcast, I think that's one of the risks that when an idea is being studied, uh, that we don't know what the evidence is around it, it's important to limit that use of whatever therapy may be in place to that study until we can create that knowledge to either uh, back up the use of that uh, treatment or to uh, refute it. Um, and I think Love It and Vitamin C was a prime example that, 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 that I uh, saw uh, at, at the bedside in clinical practice. Let, let me jump in for a second. Let me nail my colors to the mast here too. I'm a huge fan of science, even if I uh, don't do traditional research myself. And I think it's incredibly important that we in introduce scientific literacy back into our curriculum so that people understand what science is and what versus what opinion is versus what is popular versus what is proven. And so I think Dr. Rewa, if I may give you a compliment, you deserve a huge amount of credit, as do the other members of the group, for being vigorous about this and not being swayed one way or another. In other words, being a dispassionate advocate for the truth. We live in an age of, of Brandolini's principle, that sort of sense that it takes far more effort to refute, uh, shall we say, BS than it does to generate it. How do we, with that in mind, how do we popularize the importance of science? In other words, there's a lot of people who don't get behind it, don't get excited by it, almost think of it as sort of too slow for task and uh, too sort of boring for the uh, social media age, whereas I think it's, you've demonstrated with Love It that it's more essential than ever. You know, Peter, I think this is one of the, one of the positives that has come from the COVID pandemic, that we can now see that there are circumstances that we can generate new, sound, scientific knowledge in a short period of time, and then translate this into clinical practice. Because you're right, previous to the COVID pandemic, it took on average 10 to 15 years to translate scientific findings into clinical practice. And that doesn't take into account the fact that it takes five to 10 years to generate the scientific knowledge. So now we're, so previous to the pandemic, we were talking about a delay of 15 to 20 years from the, an idea to becoming part of clinical practice. During the pandemic, we went from having no knowledge at all about COVID to now having evidence-based treatments that have become standard of care. And that just highlights the fact that as a scientific community, if we all come together, work as a group, and are willing to adopt sound principles, this can be translated ra rather quickly. And I'm hoping that as we emerge from the pandemic, this is going to be one of the lessons learned, and we're not going to revert to our old ways. Hallelujah. Completely agree with that. And, and again, huge kudos to all the people involved in this trial. I mean, you could say the very same thing about the vaccine production, the ability to go from almost a standing start in a year and a half to produce a vaccine is, uh, is testament to science and is an advert for science rather than... Um, 
what seems to be occurring in social media, which is a, a lambasting of science. I have no further questions for the uh, witness, Dr. Baker. Over <laughs> to you, sir. Yeah, nor do I. Um, um, Alexa, do you do you think I can uh, tell my mom not to give me the vitamin C when I have the sniffles, or uh, should I just be an obedient son and take them? Leon, I would never tell you to disagree with your mom, but what I would say <laughs> is don't prescribe your patients high dose vi vitamin C. Keep them uh, keep them with uh, good sound evidence based principles for their septic shock, and we'll uh, we'll we'll ensure that they get the best care possible. In closing, may I add something to that? How can the average scientist, Alexa, promote the excellent research that is going on? Even if research is not their bag, we live in a world that is better off for rigorous science. So how can the rest of us help guys like you? Well, I think I think the biggest help that uh, that I could ask for, and we've seen this uh, in the city where I practice, is all of our units are now conducting uh, conducting research, even if clinicians aren't researchers themselves. Uh, they they're they're willing to uh, to participate in research. They're willing to uh, to help the research program. They're willing to help the research coordinators, and really just getting that message across that we're not going to improve the care of our patients if we don't continue to ask questions and to evaluate these in uh, in sound uh, scientific fashion. Fantastic. Alexa, thank you so much for your time. I know that uh, you have a very, very busy schedule. We really do appreciate the little bit of time that you carved out for us here. Um, we hope to chat with you again um, con concerning research and, and some of your fantastic projects in the future. Great. Thanks so much, guys. Keep up the great work. Thanks very much.